You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to True University Podcast, where the truest thing about you is what God says about you. I am Steve Eden, your host, and very excited to continue today on the true nature of God as revealed through Jesus Christ. So John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says something very profound. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. John chapter 14 and verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, What we're talking about is that this revelation, this understanding that God himself is Christ-like and that you can take all the attributes that we saw in Jesus, assign them to God, and you don't lessen your view of God at all. You actually heighten your view of God Uh, he's relational, he's trustable, and he's lovable. I actually love in John 14, 7, the discourse begins where uh, Jesus said, if you really, he's talking to uh, Philip, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That's John 14, verse 7. Of course, Philip said, Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us. Uh, Translated means we'll believe in you. And Jesus said, don't you know me yet, Philip? I've been with you for such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How is it that you say, show us the Father? So uh, there's a couple of others. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus Christ is the express image of the uh, nature of God. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. John chapter 1, verse 18 uh, says, no one has seen God at any time but the one and only begotten God, the Son of God, who's in the heart or bosom of the Father, he has disclosed him to us. He's brought him out in the open uh, for us to see. So it's a powerful truth, one that I pray sweeps across the body of Christ so we can end the foolishness of God getting blamed for Billy has cancer or Uh, you know, floods in New Orleans or the Murrah building blew up because people in Oklahoma City didn't pray enough and God was mad. Uh, Jesus never killed anybody. He didn't come steal, kill, or destroy. Think back to John 10.10 when uh, Jesus himself said, it is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life, Zoe life, that's the very life as God possesses it, the life of God and have it more abundantly. So Jesus came to reveal the true nature of God. That needed We needed that question answered because if you look at the Old Testament, you look in Scripture, uh, there are times where God's wrath was poured out on sin. But as I like to say, the Old Covenant revealed God's nature towards sin. The New Covenant very uh, wonderfully reveals God's nature towards the sinner. I read at the end of last week, Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 56, when Uh, James and John wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan village. Jews and Samaritans, you know, didn't get along. They had a history there. Uh, But we're going to call down fire and kill them all. They asked Jesus if they could, citing Elijah and the Old Testament. So many believers today fall into that same trap. But if you'll read it, Luke 9, 51 through 56, Jesus said, uh, it says he rebuked them and severely censored them and said, you don't know of what spirit you are right now. 
For the Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So this is a sobering question, but it's a valid question. If we as believers and Christ followers would rather see sinners destroyed than saved and healed and delivered, then maybe we don't understand the true nature of God as revealed through Jesus Christ. He is God's perfect and personal revelation of himself. All right, well, let's get to it today. I I think it's a huge revelation because it changes everything. Here's why. It is a law of life that who and how you believe God is towards you is who and how you will be towards others. This is because we are derivative beings. In other words, we derive our life expression and nature from another. Because we are not self-sourced as human beings, but derive life or substance from another, Jesus calls us branches in John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. Abide in me, he said. Live connected to me, remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. You gotta remain connected to me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. So he defines abiding right there. It's just um, not doing anything apart from him. Do it all with him, include him. Now, let me rightly divide it. Of course, he's always with you. There are scriptures elsewhere in the New Te- uh, Covenant that talk about, uh, New Testament that talk about uh, God abides in us and we abide in him. That is true of our spirit, man. We're always in connection. So what we're talking about right here in John 15 is the choice of our soulish man to just live the reality of our connection with the spirit of Christ. But Jesus is making the point here of our deriving that we're derivative beings to the extent of saying uh, we can't accomplish anything without living the reality of our connection uh, to him. So your view of who God is, who is God at his core? And I've mentioned before, I'm writing a book on this right now. And so uh, I pray, you know, that comes out by the end of the year and will be beneficial to many, many people. But your view of who, who you believe he is affects everything. Uh, it's a crucial perspective, and it will have a lasting impact, either positively or negatively, in so many areas of your life. So let's talk about some of those ways. Well, first of all, who you believe God is uh, at the core of his being, his true nature, affects how you relate to him. How do you have an intimate, personal relationship with God uh, or with a God that you think might take you out if your behavior is a little off? How do you relate securely and confidently to a God you believe isn't really committed in his love to you? In other words, well, yes, I do love you as long as you're lovable. Or how about this one? I forgive you. Yes, of course, died for your sin, but only if you are forgivable. So don't do anything dumb or I'll withdraw my love and my forgiveness. Guys, that's just deception. It's just total deception. God loves you because of who he is. God has forgiven you in the sense that he paid the price for your sin in his son, Jesus Christ. Here's a great question. Do you see God as your heavenly father who carries you when you're struggling in life or as the Godfather who will break your bones if you cross him? This is very important for you to discern uh, the difference in those two. If God is the Godfather, in your life, then you're gonna relate to him out of fear, separation, and distance. But if he's your heavenly father, you will relate to him by faith. 
Faith works through what? Galatians 5, 6. Faith works through love and trust. So love and trust, or I'll even say it this way, faith is a relational pillar, whereas fear is a relational killer. I want to say it again. Faith is a relational pillar, whereas fear is a relational killer. It's hard to doubt God once you really know God. As he's revealed himself, in and through Jesus Christ. Again, don't give me some preacher's revelation. Don't give me some man's, some theologian, even some uh, woman, whoever. Don't give me some human individual's uh, interpretation of who God is. Let me have God's interpretation and revelation of himself. We have seen him full of grace and truth. That revelation that God sent of himself is Jesus Christ. And so we do what scripture instructs us to do, and that is, and it's many times, over and over again, look at Jesus Christ if you wanna know the true nature of God. I remember hearing in church as a young man this statement, if you don't pay your tithe, God will take it out of your hide. Now, sometimes they would add, or he'll just take it out in doctor bills if you don't give him your money. This is a reference to the idea that God's going to get his money you owe him, the, this tithe, this 10%, even if he has to put you or family members in the hospital. There's nothing he won't do to get his money because he really needs your money because he's poor or he's selfish, or I really don't know where that theology comes from, but it's, it's uh, in error, whatever it is. How sad and how detrimental to those of us trying to relate to God properly through his loving son, Jesus Christ, and we're being told... If you don't give him your money, he'll take it out of your hide or put you or your loved ones in the hospital. Now, the first problem I have with this line of thinking is the idea that you own 90% of what's in your bank account and God only owns 10%. Wrong covenant. If you'll notice in the new covenant, Jesus came introducing the idea of lordship. That's God's full ownership of us to the point that even our bodies don't belong to us. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, says this. Do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives inside you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Verse 20, for God bought you with a high price, so honor God with your body. See, we've been bought with a high price, that's the New Living Translation, and now fully belong to God as his own possession. He owns not only our heart and our body, he owns the wallet we carry around uh, and everything that's in that wallet. He owns our home, our finances, everything. This reality makes us stewards and not owners. So here's a great question. What should we give then? Brother Steve, you're just blowing my theological mind here because I've always lived under the law of the tithe. And let me say this, if God does speak to you about giving 10% or tithing, it's not based on law. Tithing was in existence uh, with Abram even before the law was given. So let's get that out of the way. But what should we give? You're blowing my mind here. Well, give whatever the Lord tells you to give because it's his money. So it's your birthright to hear his voice. He paid a high price uh, to cleanse you so he could move inside of you and then speak to your heart. Still small voice from within. Uh, so give whatever he tells you to give. This tithing principle is 10%. It's a great biblical principle. Countless people have told me that the Lord has mentioned to them that 10% is what he'd like them to give. Again, because it's his money. So he, he gets to, to decide. But 
I hope you can see here how even our giving reflects how we relate to God. Who you believe he is affects how you relate to him, either in faith or in fear. Heavenly Father or Godfather. Be careful when you have the old covenant tithing viewpoint as well because you might easily end up justifying giving God just 10% of your heart, 10% of your mind, 10% of your time, 10% of your marriage, and 10% of your obedience as well. So let's come on into the new covenant. Uh, Even our body doesn't belong to ourselves. We've been bought with a price and now we're the temple and possession of the living God. The second problem I have with this line of thinking about uh, if you don't pay your tithe, God will take it out of your hide, is that it paints our Heavenly Father as a mob boss (laughs) who will stop at nothing to get what he thinks he has coming to him. I don't see that in uh, God revealing himself through Jesus Christ. Nowhere did Jesus threaten people with broken bones if they sinned or stumbled. Now, you may say, hold on there, Brother Steve. What about John chapter 5, verse 14? He told the man at the pool of Bethesda, quote, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Well, first of all, he's talking about what sin will do to us, not what God will do to us. So there's a big difference here. Sin is always and ever shall be the parent of human misery. Sin is unhealthy for us, unsatisfying for us, and unnatural. Jesus did not say, go and sin no more lest I do something horrible to you. He said, go and sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you because sin, uh, as scripture teaches, is death. Jesus lived out of the divine nature of his father's fullness not hoping people around him would perform well so he could look and act and feel good about himself. I mean, hear hear what I'm saying here. The idea that somehow we complete a need God has for us to obey him is a head scratcher. Although he desires our obedience and companionship for our own good, because he loves us, We do not make him whole or complete God somehow by doing those things. I mean, imagine the pride in that, that somehow uh, we've got to perform in such a way for God to feel good about himself. Man, I'm, I'm staying far away from that one. God is God regardless of what we're doing down here. He is who he is. He is, uh, scripture says he is one, right? Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. It means he has integrity. Who he is always matches what he says and what he does regardless of what we're doing. If we're not holding God up, then how do we let him down? Again, let's kind of repent of our self-importance at times because our sin, our missteps, our disappointments, uh, they honestly affect us way more than God. The bottom line is God cares more about you than what you produce for him, what you do for him. Now, should we obey him? Of course. Does he want us to obey him? Yes, because he loves us. 1 John 5, 3 says, this is the love of God that we keep his commands. So he very much wants us to follow his leading because everything he instructs us to do is going to be life uh, and health and uh, benefit to us. Doesn't mean we won't suffer, but in the end, it's going to be life and health to us and benefit to us. According to John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the one and only true God, whom Jesus Christ, or uh, (laughs) whom God has sent. So it's about relationship. Eternal life is you knowing God and Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, 23, 
Jesus says, same word in the Greek again, gnosko, to know. Depart from me, I never knew you. The will of God is to know him. Philippians 3.10, we count everything is lost, Paul said, in order that he may know Christ, uh, gnosko. So Christianity is about this intimate relationship, knowing of God's spirit through Jesus Christ. So a proper knowledge and perspective of God's nature is crucial for us to relate to him properly, lovingly, and intimately. So that's the first one right there. The first one that we're focusing on is who you believe God is at his core directly uh, affects how you relate to him. And it's certainly my prayer uh, for you that you're able to relate to him as a father who desires for you to know him, walk in this, uh, this genosko or gnosko, that's the Greek word, this intimate experiential knowing of who he is. I've got a little bit of time. Let me share with you another thought. It affects your praise. Praise is obviously a powerful weapon. It blesses God, scatters his enemies, establishes his kingdom in our hearts, renews our minds, and empowers us to love well. So we don't want our praise hindered. But listen to me, your level of praise is directly related to your revelation and view of who God is. Why do you think there's so much constant high praise going on in heaven? Their faces aren't veiled anymore in heaven. Their view of who God really is is not skewed, is not obstructive. What uh, obstructed? What if one of the things Jesus came to do was to reveal who God is and elevate praise on the earth to, quote, as it is in heaven. Heaven has unveiled praise, unhindered worship, unbroken fellowship. I think it's possible that part of the assignment of Jesus was to reveal the Father truly uh, in such a way, authentically in such a way that praise would be heightened in the earth, that we could see God with an unveiled face. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Boy, Hallelujah. I just think there's a great possibility of that. And so if you're going to a church and, I mean, it's just the band is playing, the singers are singing, but it's dead as a doornail in that church, uh, they haven't seen God. They're They're not looking at him with an unveiled face. And it's possible that they think he's the Godfather. So they're probably thinking about they didn't give enough money this week. They didn't obey him. Uh, this week they didn't love their wife or children enough this week so they're just kind of waiting on the you know the hammer time uh, to happen (laughs) there in the church building i'm telling you who you believe he is affects your praise affects how you relate to him it affects your praise listen to psalm 48 10 according to your name O god so is your praise to the ends of the earth This passage is clear that we praise God, quote, according to how we perceive and interpret his name. Scripture says over and over again that Jesus Christ is the revelation of God's name, uh, his person, his character, his nature, his image. Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God. Therefore, while we always maintain great reverence and respect for God, we can also worship him with full assurance of his sacrificial and generous love towards us. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I mentioned last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world 
to himself. So you can see how if you believe God's name is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, savior, redeemer, everlasting father, you will praise him in accordance with that revelation. But if you think his name is judge, anger, revenge, wrath, then your worship is going to look much different. I want you to begin to let God transform your praise by daring to believe that he is good, he is Christ-like, and that he delights in your praise. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you again for the revelation you gave us of yourself in Jesus Christ, who himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That means that he's approachable. You can trust him. He's trustable and he's lovable. Father, I just pray for this truth to begin to resonate and grow and mature and leaven, Lord, the entire body of Christ. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.